This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi everyone, welcome back to the treatment room with Tess and Lauren. Today we have an absolute dream of a guest on the podcast. We cannot wait to share her with you guys. She comes with 30 years of hands-on experience as an esthetician. You may already know of her from her blog content, from her social media, from her product line, or her pretty impressive roster of A-list clients, including Madeline Pesh, Demi Lovato, and Lily Reinhardt. Her name is Renee Rouleau, and we are so excited to get into this episode. We are talking everything from acne mistakes to how she got where she is today, a successful, thriving CEO of a skincare company with a successful cult following. We hope you guys enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the treatment room. We are so excited for our guest today. We have the esteemed, wonderful, amazing Renee Rouleau with us. Thank you so much, Renee, for coming on. Bye, everyone. Yay. So we are so excited. I'm. We have followed you for so long, and it's a dream come true to get to talk to you. So I want to kind of just dive right in. Um, can you give us a little background, a little backstory about how you got to be an esthetician and kind of where this all started? Yeah, I've been an esthetician for 30 years. My uh, grandmother was in the beauty business. She was a, a hairstylist and owned her own salon. So I saw both entrepreneurship as well as somebody who was a you know had passion for making others look good and feel good. And so when it came time um, for me to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I. Um, I knew it was something in the beauty business because I was always, you know, just really into beauty and products and hair and makeup and nails and skin and all through high school. I mean, that was, I was like the go-to for all that stuff. And so, um, I decided to become an esthetician and have been doing it ever since. That's amazing. Did you ever consider like say makeup or like any other part of the beauty industry or like, how did you know skin? Yeah, actually, great question. Um, so I actually did go to school to become a, uh, a hairstylist originally. I thought I would follow in the in the footsteps of my grandmother. And, um, and so I actually went to school for that first. And then my first job when I was 19 was at a salon and I was kind of apprenticing for hair, but they also needed somebody. They did makeup and they did nails there as well. And, and so I kind of did a little bit of all of that. Um, cause I, I really liked all of it. And, but they also had an esthetician there and this was back in 
you know, 1988, 89, when, you know, an esthetician was not really a common career mm-hmm. path. Like, you know, it was a long time ago. And, right. and so, so the salon had an esthetician there and I just found that, um, versus hair, uh, makeup and nails. Um, I just was really into the skin skincare part. And I was always like, hanging around with the esthetician and peeking in her room and asking a million questions. And, uh, a year and a half later, uh, so I ended up going to school to become an esthetician shortly afterward, worked back at the salon. And then my coworker and I, who was the esthetician, we actually opened up a business together and had it for five years, um, outside of Boston. So, but I, I think back to, if the salon did not have an esthetician and they didn't have a skincare room and it was all just the traditional hair, nail and makeup, I probably would have, I probably would have pursued makeup. Cause again, I didn't really know skincare was a thing. Like I didn't really know that was a real profession or whatever. So it's just interesting. Had I not, had I not met an esthetician and been around that, how things might've been different. Yeah. And I think that's a, big benefit that estheticians have today. We have the social media, Lauren and I had people like you to look to, but I think like you're saying, things were so different in that time. Could you tell us about the time when you decided to take that leap with your friend and open a business? Was it a big risk to you in your mind? Were you nervous? Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because I was... T- she had asked me, she was like 13 years older than me, had two, um, had two children and she always wanted to open up a business, but because she had children, you know, she knew it was a big responsibility. And so we got along really well and great chemistry. And she asked if I wanted to open up the business with her. And so she took a chance on me and saw something in me and we opened that when I was 21. And I mean, what did I know about running a business or anything? I was a fairly new esthetician with only probably like a a year and a half experience under my belt. And, but it just worked and she saw something special in me. I certainly adored her to pieces and she was a mentor to me. And um, so, yeah, it just worked. But I think the thing is, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, I was 21 who's, you know, I'm fearless, right? Like you kind of just think you can do anything. Like had this been many years later, maybe I would have thought differently. So, um, uh, but yeah, it just, it worked out great. But I also, it's interesting because when I look back at the experiences that my friends all had all during their early twenties, mine was so different, right? They were in college, Mm -hmm. they were partying, living the good life. And I was, managing employees and had all that responsibility. And and I don't, and I love to work. I'm a hard worker. So, um, I enjoyed it, but you know, I didn't quite have the, the regular early twenties experience that most people did. That's okay. It worked out for you, obviously. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your business today, it seems like it's in a very unique position. It's mostly product-based and you do some traveling for treatments. Could you talk to us a little bit about a typical day in your life? What does that entail? So, yeah, so I'm being an actual hands-on esthetician is a very, very small percent of my world. That's probably 1% of what I do. Um, I, uh, I 
I go to LA, you know, pre COVID, I was there probably every six weeks um, and working out of a hotel room or clients' homes. And I have a handful of clients that I see and treat their skin. Um, so it's really nice to kind of still keep my hands in it. But the majority of my world is, um, is working in Austin. That's where our corporate headquarters and warehouse distribution um, is. We have uh, 19 employees, um, 10,000 square foot of office and warehouse space. And it's where all the magic happens behind the scenes for uh, the Rene Rouleau product line. So um, my responsibilities include a lot of the media interviews, you know, being the face of the company. Um, so, um, yeah, a lot of media tapping into my expert advice, um, kind of PR, things like that. Um, I'm also really still hands-on with my blog. I've had a skincare blog since uh, 2009. And so yeah. I spend a lot of time uh, writing blog posts and researching all of that. Um uh, what else? Product development. Right now we have pro uh, five products currently in development. And, um, and so that's working, yeah, that's super fun. And so doing all of that, um, um, yeah, meetings and just kind of staying connected with my team, but ultimately I'm in a place where, you know, I'm less of the day to day than I've ever been. And the company really needs me to do the things that only Renee can do, which is again, right. a lot of the product development and being the face of the company and being the expert and all of that. Yeah. That's amazing. So, cause I think that a lot of estheticians, um, these days do kind of strive to have their own product line. Um, and you know, the chemistry of products is becoming, um, even more popular than it ever has been. So I'm mm -hmm. curious about, you know, when you decided to start a product line, what was that process like? And like, was it difficult to get it off the ground? Did, like, how long did it take? Did you work with a chemist? Yeah. So, um, I mean, today I have 50 products in my line, so wow. I have a lot of products, but obviously it all just started with one. Um, yeah, it's, um, um, yeah, I, I met, I'm trying to think it's been so long now. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally at trade shows is kind of when you meet people in the industry and, um, yeah, you meet a lab and work with a chemist and, and formulate the challenge. The challenge back then is, um, is that our volume was going to be really small. And so getting a custom formulation made when you don't, you know, you're, you're not going to, you don't really know how much you're going to be able to sell of it is challenging. And that's still the case today. And that's the hard part about when people want to start a skincare line is the minimums are, are pretty high and you want to be able to turn over your product, um, quickly, but you know, if you don't have the sales, then it's more challenging to do that. But yeah, so it's, it's just, um, you know, having an understanding of what kind of product you want. I think, you know, in the, in the early days, I wasn't as knowledgeable. I certainly have a lot more knowledge now about product development. And I've also taken a lot of cosmetic chemistry courses at UCLA. And so I'm, I'm much more well-versed in, in products and formulations mm -hmm. than I, than I ever was. But um, yeah, I think it's just having a, a good relationship with a lab and, and making sure that, you know, they meet your standards and they're high quality and, um, good communication and, and a good partner. Cause that's ultimately what it is, is a partnership. Renee, when you're thinking about bringing on a new product, like you are right now, 
is there a certain element of that product that you know has to has to be something that's you don't have in your line already um is there a reason you decide to bring on something new um yeah it's you know because i have 50 products um a lot of them are formulations that are 10 years old and so a lot of times it's going and they're still great formulas but it's time for a makeover right because the technology has changed and and there's new advancements and, and that so a lot of times it's looking back at our existing formulas and figuring out like what needs a makeover is there a new bell and whistle that we can add to it but then sometimes it's creating an entirely new product based off of a new category or something like that. So it just kind of depends. Um, but I'm always kind of auditing the products and figuring out like where the attention needs to go. Yeah. So do you ever like phase out a product and replace it with something new that you feel is a little bit better? Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times if I'm taking one of our older formulas, we will make it new and improved. Oftentimes we'll give it a new name just to kind of maybe because mm. the the older name just isn't as fitting anymore, you know, things evolve. So yeah, yeah, all the time we make new and improved. I'm wondering for, for those estheticians out there who might have an e-commerce site mm-hmm. and obviously want to maximize their profits and, and put out products that are successful and that people want to buy, are there certain elements of the products that you have that you notice make them more sellable or exciting for consumers? Well, I think it depends on your demographic, right? Mm. It's it's really who you're catering to. So typically what I find happens is when somebody creates, when somebody goes out to start a skincare line, they usually create one based on their own skin, right? Like they're mm-hmm. basically like, I'm having these challenges with my skin. This is what I'm passionate about. I understand that there's other people out there who probably have the same issue. And so they build the line around there. So typically, so typically if, if there's somebody that's creating a line that's, you know, 45 years old and really concerned about aging and pigmentation, they're probably attracting that demographic because people tend to be drawn to people that are like them and they're probably not you know, focused on an acne line as much, right? It's probably more for aging. So I think it's just really who your demographic is. I mean, at the end of the day, every product needs to be focused on problem solving. It's just a matter of what that problem is. So like, you know, it's, so as far as our line is concerned, do we have products that are sell above and beyond other products? Sure. Um, I think, you know, I think for us, we, and, you know, a lot of my clients, my celebrity clients that have shouted me from the rooftops are all, you know, kind of in their, you know, early twenties, mid twenties. And so they deal with acne and breakouts. And so, so we do a lot in that space, um, you know, in adult acne, um, just because that's like where we're getting kind of the most attention. Um, but my line is based on nine skin types. So we have everything from acne to aging and everything in between and sensitivity. So, you know, we don't, you know, there really is, our line isn't just an acne line by any means. I mean, it's, it's, I determined when I first became an esthetician that 
putting the skin into dry normal oily as I had learned about in school was just very limiting and created a line that spans the nine skin types. People can take the skin type quiz. So, so we have something for everyone, but our most popular products um, tend to be our, our acne products. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually kind of blends perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next was about the nine skin types. It's so unique and something like you said that, you know, we all learn oily, dry, um, normal, whatever it is when we're in, um, school, but I'm curious about, (laughs) I'm curious about your, the nine skin types and like how you came up with that and how you treat based on the different skin types. Yeah. So it's, you know, again, I, you know, I just, I learned that, that everyone's skin is unique and, and the problem, you know, that still is the case today is that skincare lines are catered, you know, towards kind of the dry, normal and oily. And perfect example is somebody that's like, you know, 20, 28, and they still get occasional breakouts, but they are also like, wow, I'm getting fine lines around my eyes and noticing aging. And, and, um, so what skin type is that? Right. And, and also a lot of it depends on how often they break out. So we have skin types that, you know, somebody that breaks out and gets three new breakouts every single day is very different from somebody that gets hormonal breakouts just around their time of the month. Right. So, so you can't also, you can't just kind of put acne even into, into the same bucket that way, because everyone's acne is different in terms of what kind they get as well as frequency. So, um, so sorry, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Um, basically just like how you came up with, with the nine skin types and like what, what led you that way and how you treat differently. Yeah. So, and so, so in the back history is when I worked at that first salon and I was a new esthetician, they had one skincare line. And so now, you know, I'm all excited. I'm an esthetician. I'm taking clients ready to go. And then all of a sudden I'm recommending home care products and I only have one line to sell. And, you know, there was like two cleansers, three moisturizers. I mean, really limited, yeah. really limiting. And so I convinced the salon owner to bring in a second line and then an eventually a third line so that I could kind of customize a routine. And that's when I was like, all right, there's got to be something better than this. You know, like the point was, is I was trying to create customization and I had to do it with three skincare lines, which made no sense. And that was kind of the inspiration for me having a line based on nine skin types and people taking the quiz and being able to really get a curated routine for their skin type. And, um, and that's, you know, that's really what makes, uh, you know, us different as people are looking for getting all of their skincare needs met and they don't want to just be in some generic, generic category. And then the nice thing too, Mm -hmm. is that because we have 50 products as the skin changes, they can also modify things, right? Like we have, you know, like, Oh wow, now it's winter. And all of a sudden my skin is acting really weird and it's doing something different. And so then we'll be like, okay, well try this. Why don't you switch this cleanser to that? And so at the end of the day, you always want to give your skin what it needs for what it's doing then. And the skin is always evolving and changing. And so there's, you know, people stay with us forever because we have so many different options. Renee, when it comes to dealing with different types of breakout, are there common themes, maybe common mistakes you often see your clients making that our listeners can can hear about and understand possibly how to better take care of breakout in their skin? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So I have a, um, a really popular blog post called how to get rid of a blemish fast. Mm -hmm. And it, it gives step-by-step instructions of how to do it. But I would say the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to, when it comes to breakouts is how they treat it with spot treatments. And what I mean by that is they feel something coming up and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm breaking out. And so they'll grab their spot treatment, their drying spot treatment and apply it to the blemish because they're thinking, okay, I want to kill it. I want to zap it. I want it to, to dry up and go away. Well, the problem is, is that you have to understand that there's a life cycle to, to blemishes and, and the problem is, is that people are spot treating it with the wrong product at the wrong time of the life cycle. And so, so basically what I mean by that is a blemish will do one of two things. So if you, if you leave it alone and let mother nature run her course, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to come to a head, um, come up through the skin and then come to a head into a white head and then pop and release itself that way. Or it's going to stay more as a bump, a cystic type blemish. It's going to be a, an annoying, painful bump, but eventually your body reabsorbs that infection and it goes back down under. So knowing that it's going to do one of two things, you know, that's really important to the, to the process. So what happens is, is if somebody immediately puts on a, a drying spot treatment and it's a cystic blemish, meaning one that doesn't want to come out, all they're doing is drying out the surface of the skin, leaving it flaky, and you still have the bump underneath. So that's not doing anything. If it is one that wants to come up and out through the surface of the skin and you put a drying spot treatment on it, now you're drying out the skin and creating a lot of um, you know, dead skin cells. And now as this whitehead in this infection is trying to come up through the surface of the skin, it can't get out because now you've dried out the skin. And so I like to think of it as like a trap door. Like basically this, if this, if this infection could talk, it would say, Hey, wait a minute. Like I'm trying to come out here and I can't get out because there's this trap door there. And so, so what happens is the longer that infection is in the skin and doesn't have a pathway to come out, the longer the blemish will be there. And, um, and the longer it's there, it um, the infection stretches out the, the skin tissue and affects the surrounding skin tissue, and that sets off a response for pigmentation. The biggest, you know, a blemish in theory lasts for, you know, three days, a week, whatever, but the discolored mark that leaves behind can last for two months. So, so basically, um, that's the biggest problem that uh, people make is they should not be trying to dry it out until that infection has been released from the skin. And then they can, once that infection comes to a head and they, you know, pop out the white, the white head, then they can dry it. And that kind of gets into the pore and kind of clears anything out. So I, knowing that this is a big problem for people, cause I see it all the time. Um, I created, uh, what's called our zip care kit and it has four different products in it. Uh, a lancet for at the point when it's time to squeeze it, step-by-step instructions, finger cots to keep things sanitary. And the problem I solved with creating this Zitcare kit is getting a blemish to go away as quickly as possible with the least amount of scarring with four treatments that follow the life cycle of the blemish. 
So basically you are spot treating it because you do want to try to control it and make it go away faster, but you're in sync and in harmony with, with the healing process. Um, so the end result is it goes away faster with lesser scarring. That's, I think, so amazing. And I actually have read that blog post from you, Renee, and I have to tell you, it it literally changed the way that I thought about breakouts because it was like, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my God, duh. Like it just, <laughs> right? It just right. makes so much more sense. So right. I, 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 and I, that's what I tell everybody now. And I think that spot treatment is one of the most like um, misunderstood things in, sure. in acne and, you know, all that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that kit is super, super popular. It's one of the best investments anyone can make um, because, you know, you're covered every step of the way. Mm -hmm. So in that, in that care kit, what type of products are you using? Is it like more anti-inflammatory products as opposed to antibacterial? So both for sure. Um, but yeah, so one of them is our number one bestseller called anti-bump solution, which is you're going to put on immediately. Um, and this is before you know if it's coming to a surface or the cyst. It's just like your first thing you're going to put on. Then if it does come to the surface, like I said, it has the Lancet and step-by-step -step instructions. Once it's released, um, then you put on the nighttime spot lotion. If it is more of a cyst, you're going to just keep spot treating with the anti-bump solution, and that should make it go back down 50% quicker. Um, and then there's a daytime spot treatment called daytime blemish gel that is more um, anti-inflammatory, it's more calming, but it also creates an invisible seal over the blemish and it's used under makeup so that makeup doesn't interfere with the blemish. And then the last one is the post-breakout fading gel, which is once the blemish is all healed up and you're lef left with a discolored mark, you put that on and it helps to um, get the discoloration to um, be less noticeable and go away faster. I love it. I think that's the most like well-rounded approach to treating breakouts that I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. On the topic of makeup, Renee, that was another really unique blog post I read on your site. Could you talk a little bit about makeup and maybe some mistakes or ways people can wear makeup while still protecting the integrity of their skin? Yeah. So are you talking about the, um, the blog post I did about the best foundations for oily acne yes. prone skin with the oil migration yes. test. Yeah. Yes. Um, I also just published a, a new silicone one. That's really interesting mm. that I published a couple days ago because silicone is in a lot of makeup and yes. certainly primers and um, people are fearful of them. And there are a few that you should be fearful of um, mm. if you are prone to clog pores. But um, anyway, so that's a really cool one as well. But um but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think of makeup as a skincare product um, in that it provides additional protection for the skin, even if it doesn't say it has some protection in it. But if um, all makeup has like titanium dioxide, which is a sunscreen ingredient. So I, you know, most people, I mean, really at the end of the day, the most important thing you need to be focused on is um, protecting your skin from premature aging. And most people don't apply enough sunscreen and, and therefore they're not protecting their skin like they think they are. And so 
but also sunscreens degrade during the day with your skin's natural oils. And so wearing some sort of powder or liquid foundation every day, I think is really important to just give an extra layer of protection. But the mistake that people make is they think that they're, you know, they should let their skin breathe and not wear makeup. And, but I, I think of it as an extension of a skincare product. So as long as they're using one that is not clogging the pores and not causing them problems, which is why I did that blog post to give kind of the different recommended, um, my recommendations for the best ones to use if somebody is kind of fearful of that. Um, but it should be used every day and, and looked at, like I said, as a skincare product. Love that. I think a lot like your acne post, that was a really just uh, perspective changing post to read and to understand that you can wear makeup without it causing more problems. I think a lot of people really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because yeah. makeup, makeup is very, I feel like, demonized in the skin industry that it's, like you said, everyone just right. feels like their skin needs to breathe and you shouldn't wear makeup. You should go as makeup-free as possible. But um, I actually, I think, mentioned this in a, a podcast like long ago. Um, we were talking about how you said that, Renee, about you know makeup being protective for the skin. And <laughs> there was one time, I think I was like 21, I was super young, but I was um, at a music festival and I had my, I had this like really heavy foundation on and I did not reapply my sunscreen. And I remember waking up in the morning being like, oh my God, I guarantee I'm sunburned because I didn't reapply. And I looked in the mirror, I was like, oh, I'm not at all. And I think it was, you know, due to having so, so much makeup on that day, it just like really yeah. added that layer of protection. Quick break to talk about the sponsor of today's episode, which is Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters with some amazing sponsorship opportunities. Now, you guys may have noticed that we have recently started to integrate some ads into our podcast, and we are honestly so thankful for your support on that. We promise to always choose opportunities that are a natural fit and things that we would just naturally want to share with you guys. We are so thankful for Podcorn because it allows us to afford some of the resources it takes to record and produce a podcast. From the very beginning, Lauren and I have been firm believers that you can eventually turn your passion into a paycheck if you have the courage to pursue it relentlessly. And for any of you who may have a podcast or who are thinking about it already and wondering if it could lead to possible monetization and making money, the answer is yes. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. It can be kind of tricky when you start to create content and you're not sure what exactly you should value yourself at or what brands are even open to collaborating with you. Podcorn makes it so easy. With Podcorn, there is no middleman and it's actually open to podcasters of all sizes. So meaning you, if you start tomorrow on your podcast, you can actually browse and choose opportunities right on the platform. You're able to set your own rate, which I think is actually very empowering. And you're able to collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. If this is of any interest to you, you can just click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and you can start browsing the sponsorship opportunities right away and see what's available to you. We hope that helped you out and let's get back to the show. 
quick break to talk about the sponsor of this episode, which is Bastic App. As some of you may know, Lauren and I are absolutely in love with intermittent fasting. We have been doing it for years on our own. The main reason we love it is it really helps with inflammation. As somebody who deals with chronic illness, inflammation can be a big problem for me. And it also helps to accelerate advanced signs of aging in the skin, which we absolutely don't want. So what's so amazing about intermittent fasting is it engages a process called autophagy. Now, this is just a fancy word for the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. The app is honestly amazing because I know myself and Lauren, we've sort of been winging the whole intermittent fasting thing for years. So if you're anything like me and you really just like having things laid out for you and having a concrete understanding of what's going on, the app makes it super easy. You're able to choose your window on the app, so you can go as intense or as casual as you want with it. I personally do the 15-9 window, which is totally doable for me. It just means I stop eating around 6.45, so I'll wrap up my dinner by then, and then I can have my breakfast around 9.45. And if I'm not hungry, I can totally just push it and adjust it in the app. It's also really fun because you can add a little fasting buddy. So you could add your mom or your sister or your boyfriend or your partner, whoever. You can add a little buddy just to help motivate and encourage you. So Lauren and I have each other added as buddies. So that's a really fun part of the app. Something else I really love about the app is it asks you what do you want to achieve with the fasting. So whether that's having more energy, living longer, losing weight, having better health, which is my reason, having more focus. I think knowing your why when we start any process makes it that much more meaningful and doable to push through when things get a little bit uncomfortable. So although intermittent fasting has become pretty trendy in the past few years, it's something that comes really natural for our body and goes back to our ancient roots. The Fastic team has 25 years of fasting experience, so they have been in the game for a while now. So I know in quarantine, it can be a little bit difficult to hold yourself accountable or have motivation. Fastic is the perfect companion for guidance to a healthy lifestyle in quarantine and beyond. The app helps achieve your individual goals, which I love. So again, whether it's having more focus or living longer, it helps you out with a personalized plan and gives you a lot of support. I've never been a fan of diets, and I think motivation can come and go with that as your cravings change. So I think it's much more of a better alternative to diets, something that is more of a sustainable lifestyle. I know in our society, there's so much emphasis on weight loss and If that's your goal, it is a positive side effect of fasting, but far more important are the long-term health benefits that come from fasting. Bringing it full circle back to that little process called autophagy, which we love, which is what, you guys? It's the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells. We love that. Again, it is activated through intermittent fasting, and it recently got a Nobel Prize. 
Doesn't get much better than that, except for the fact that the app is free. You can get it on the Apple App Store or Google Play and be twinsies with me and Lauren. Add us as buddies if you want, but definitely try it. Let me know what you think. Oh, 100% for sure. Yeah. Renee, I wanted to ask, as far as the future of the skincare industry, are there certain observations or trends you see falling into place for the foreseeable future? Um, I, I think that the consumer is getting more knowledgeable. Mm. Um, they're demanding more information. They're demanding more transparency from brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that all of that is great, but I think there's going to always be continuous um, confusion and, and why I think there's going to be confusion is everyone's looking for like the right answer. And it's kind of like what I think about, like when somebody goes to a doctor and they go get a second opinion and a third opinion. So let's just say they have like, you know, they've been diagnosed with cancer or something, you know, it's always good to go get a a couple opinions you could hear three different opinions from three different doctors. Right. And, and is one of them wrong? Is one of them right? It's no, it's just based on that particular doctor's experience, their knowledge, what they've read, what they've seen, what they know. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that is always going to be the case. You know, I, there are, there are things that science can't, there's no studies on, but certain opinions I have based on feedback for, from thir- you know, for 30 years of clients telling me the same thing all, you know, again and again, for example, case in point, dairy. So for many, many years, I mean, I, from that first salon, I had a, a client that, um, that said she bro- broke out chin and jawline breakout from dairy. And I had never heard that before. And I was like, Oh, wow. And she's like, yeah, as soon as I don't eat dairy, it, it clears up. And she's like, that's what I determined. So I was like, interesting. So I would start to recommend that to certain clients that were having chin and breakout, uh, chin and jawline breakouts. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this pattern that, wow, people are coming back and going, Oh my gosh, Renee, as soon as I cut out dairy, like uh, my breakouts aren't coming anymore. And so I have been promoting that for years. And I remember, you know, I mean, there were no studies about it. Doctors were saying, oh, no, there's no, no correlation. And then eventually they did start looking into it. And now there is scientific research showing that dairy can be a problem for people. And so, so I think, you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of certainly where I come from is just that experience. Like, you know, some people might call it anecdotal. Um, but again, when I hear something and see something enough, I form conclusions. And so, so I think the challenging thing is that as consumers seek to become smarter, um, there's still going to be confusion because again, there's, you know, people have different opinions and philosophies, right? I mean, even with skincare lines, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, somebody could say, oh, synthetic fragrance is bad in products. And somebody else says, no, it's fine. And, and so, you know, it's, there, there will always be confusion because people will have different viewpoints. Um, but I do think that um, certainly the, 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 the knowledge that, I mean, people want to be smarter. And so brands need to make sure that they are educating 
um, in a really good way about about how to give their customers the information they're seeking, which is which is just knowledge. People want to know what they're putting on their skin. They want to understand how it's working, why it's working, and and um, yeah. So I just think there's just you know putting out good content and and um, mm-hmm. helping make people smarter and more informed. You're always going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think that just good intention always comes back to you and that transparency. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, it's all about trust too, right? If, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, if you're going to put your hard-earned money towards a company, you want to feel like you can trust them. And I think brands need to make sure that they come across as trustworthy. Yes, and I think it's, I was browsing on the Sephora site the other day just to kind of, you know, have a look at what consumer products are out there and just kind of see what certain brands offer versus others. And some will do this thing where they, you know, put key ingredients and just make that, you know, the biggest portion of what you see when they're looking at their product. And to see the rest of the ingredients, it's always kind of like hidden, you know, on a sidebar or just buried at the bottom of the site. And I think it can definitely be misleading for people and you wouldn't necessarily know to recognize, Oh, that's not all that's in the product. If you didn't have a skincare background Mm -hmm. and you weren't set on, you know, understanding holistically what all is in that product. Right. Well, but you know, but you know, but the challenging part too, um, is that you can't judge an, a product by an ingredient label either. And, you know, because you, you know, every formulation is different percentages. I mean, there's a lot that goes yes. into it. So, pH. so I, I have a, so the silicone post that I wrote, so I did, um, I did an experiment. I have three types of silicones, two of which both were dimethicone. Dimethicone is one of the more popular silicones that's used in makeup and in skincare products. And it, it, you know, silicones in general can get a bad reputation, but what I demonstrated in um, this little experiment I did that I, I show on there is that you can have two different types of dimethicone and their volatilities are completely different, meaning um, one dimethicone is fast drying and it evaporates really fast and a different type of um dimethicone based on its molecular weight um, stays on the skin and so you know and and doesn't leave and so that's for that type is great for dry skin for barrier repair but you want the the one that flashes off the skin fast that's appropriate for oily skin types it's not you know it doesn't stay on the skin and block anything in the pores and so that one's totally appropriate but on an ingredient list, if you see dimethicone, you don't know what, which weight they used. And Mm. so, so that's the challenge. And that's what I was trying to show in this post is, you know, it always goes back to, you just can't judge a product by an ingredient label because you don't know what type of, you know, again, what percentages or what type they used and dimethicone's a perfect example. So some, some dimethicones are not going to be ideal for acne prone skin and some will be, it's just, it depends on what kind they used and you'll never know that from an ingredient label. Right. And so it can be challenging. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that. And just kind of speaking on that point, I had tried a sunscreen. I think it was last year. It was like a new one that came out. It was just a drugstore brand, but I was curious 
I tried it and I put it on and I was like, oh my God, this is like never rubbing in. It just was like so much silicone that I was like, wow, I've never felt something quite so like silicone-y except for like a makeup primer. And I looked on the back, dimethicone. And then I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I have other stuff that has dimethicone in it. And I compared and I did. And I think that, um, you know, just speaks to that point that, you know, you can have two products that have um, dimethicone in them, but one feels so insanely different than the other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love Renee, I've seen your um, experiments that you do like that, the specifically the one with the water on the t-shirt in the airplane. airplane. That's a great one. Loved it. I was like, wow, that was just like, I mean, it really just, it just proves the point. And it also shows, you know, how critical you think and how, you know, you are, you do have that scientific mind. Thanks. Yeah. And it's also, but it's also, you know, since I've had a blog since 2009 and I have over, you know, a thousand blog posts, I'm like, all right, what have I not done or talked about? Right. So you have to get really creative. And so part of it's that as well, but yeah, like as much as possible, I try to have my silly sciencey experiments to, to prove a point. So. Yeah. I mean, well, they really do prove a point and they really stick with you. I can literally still see the photo in my head of the two gray (laughs) t-shirts and everywhere I go, people are like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) And I have that rule about the 60 seconds and the transepidermal water loss just yeah. stuck in my head. When I get out of the shower, Renee, <laughs> I have your rule stuck in my head and right. I try to be fast. The, and, and for your listeners, the rule is after you wash your face, you have a 60 second window before evaporation of moisture will uh, occur within the skin. And so you want to work quickly and get your second product on, ideally an alcohol-free toner, left damp, and then roll into your serum and moisturizer. Yep. Yep. Love it. So Renee, speaking of kind of judging products and how to get a feel for a product, you know, besides just looking at the ingredient label, I saw a little something on your website that you taste products in order to kind of see how they, how they might react to the skin. Is that true? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea is, 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 I mean, it's not totally scientific, but the idea is that if it tastes acidic, then it probably has a little bit of a lower pH. Um, it could also indicate that um, different uh, citrus elements are used in the product and certain skin types um, um, can be reactive to that. So sometimes like if I have somebody that's like, oh, I've, I've been using this and, and I'm getting some irritation from it, then I'll taste it. And if it tastes acidic, that can kind of tell me that it's just not agreeing with their skin. Interesting. So it's more about the acidity, like pH level of the product than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Cool. So interesting. I never would have thought to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't all, you know, I don't do that all the time, but <laughs> you, yeah, don't to, just... you don't go to Target and lick all the products. <laughs> I know, right? All the testers. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that's like pre COVID. Yeah. Totally oh yeah. <laughs> Renee, an important question we want to make sure to ask you segueing a little bit more to building a business. Do you have a certain approach to that you've used to build a loyal, solid clientele? Yeah. Um, you know, advice that I give estheticians is at the end of the day, you could be the most knowledgeable esthetician with the best hands, you know, ever. But if you don't 
have a solid client base, you're just not going to get very far. And so it's important to recognize what the needs are for people. And the needs of people when you're in the service business is if you can make someone's life easier and better, they will stay loyal to you. And so I've always had that philosophy is when I have clients, how can I make their life easier and better? And so a big part of that is um, I think of myself as the personal skin assistant for my clients. And, you know, they're busy with their lives. They're not the expert. I am. How can I, how can I be of the most value to them? So I really view um, each client. I mean, it's a relationship that I have with them. So, and the relationship um, starts, you know, when you meet them, give them a skin treatment, but where the, where the relationship is most valuable is when you're not with them. How can you t stay in touch with them in between appointments and making sure that you're being top of mind, making sure that they're getting their skin needs met. Um, and because the skin is changing all the time and all of a sudden someone's like, Oh my gosh, I'm breaking out. I don't know what's going on. And you want to be kind of that go-to person. And so, um, I think when, I think most people just view the relationship with a client as the times when they come in and, but you know, you could see a client once a month, you could see them twice a year and, you know, but again, like how do you kind of create that loyalty in between that, uh, in, in, you know, that time. So, so I always recommend people taking really good notes and, you know, Hey, what do you have going on this next couple months? Oh, well, you know, I'm in my friend's wedding. Oh, great. You know, take notes. Oh, that's in June. Great. And then follow up with them, you know, in May and Hey, I know you said you were in your friend's wedding next month and how's your skin doing? Is there anything I can help? And let's, you know, here's some tips or, you know, and really like, catering to, uh, what's going on in their life and, and just kind of always being there for them being again, being their personal skin assistant and how are you doing on your products? Could I send you anything or, you know, and you know, do we need to change up your routine? Oh, you mentioned you're going to go to spend, you know, summers in Colorado. It's really dry there. And maybe we need to switch your moisturizer and, and, but really having that mindset of how can I make their life easier and better? is what's going to make you stand apart from other skincare professionals. And that will create loyalty because, um, um, you know, that's, you're just providing such an amazing service. So yeah. it's really just about being super attentive. Yes. I think everyone likes to feel remembered and that you were special to somebody and you remember yeah. those small details. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's as if, you know, we're partners with our clients, not just, you know, a service provider, I think is right. an important point. Totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. Right. So Renee, now that you are traveling and you don't have necessarily like a specific spa space, how mm -hmm. often do you see your clients? And in the times that you're not seeing them, do you have like a specific like check-in schedule that you have for them where you call them or email them, or do you kind of wait for them to come to you? Um, no, I'm always following up with them. So, um, so part of when I go out to LA to see my clients, you know, sometimes, um, 
you know, they all happen to be there and I could knock out all of them in one trip, but a lot of times they might have, a, you know, one person might have a special event and I go out just for one client. So it just kind of depends. Um, um, but yeah, I'm always following up with them, checking in, um, what's going on, making notes of what important things they have coming up, obviously less these days. Um, with a pandemic, but, um, yeah, I'm always in touch with them, but more importantly, and I think this is where it's the biggest, um, sign of success is when they reach out to me and they send me a picture of their blemish or something going on with their skin. Like when they think of me and reach out to me, that's when I know I really have a relationship with a client. And then even, even more so than that, when they reach out to me for their friends, right? Hey, Renee, mm. I'm sitting here with my friend, we're having lunch and she was asked me this, you know, would you mind talking to her or whatever? So when they're, you know, using you as their trusted resource and referring you to their friends, that's also another sign that you've made, that you've made it right. You really have locked in that relationship. So, yeah, so I, I don't take a lot of clients. Um, cause it's, it is, you know, I, I try to just be really attentive to the handful I have. Um, but it's just really about having a relationship and they know I'm there for them. Renee, was there a defining moment for you after you, you started your spa with your friend from taking the business from when it was just starting out to what it is today? Would you say there was a certain moment that sort of catapulted you into being, so successful and well-known? Yeah. So, um, so actually just for clarification, so I had, uh, with my former coworker, we had, um, that business outside of Boston for five years. And then I wanted to get out of the East coast. So I actually sold, um, my half of the business and started Renee Relo skincare in Texas, started in Dallas. Now we're in Austin, but, um, and have been, uh, Renee Rillo has been in business for 24 years, almost 24 years. So, um, so speaking for Renee Rillo skincare, um, I think the defining moment, um, I think it was kind of once I got some celebrities as clients, just because they have, you know, they, they're, their voice carries a long way. Right. And so it's, you know, I think that was kind of, kind of game changing when all of a sudden you had these big names that were talking about you and then the press was running with it. And, um, you know, it kind of really put me on the map a lot more. Um, so I think that was probably kind of a game changer is just really recognizing the power that, celebrities have and, and how mm -hmm. far their voices can carry. And when they love something and they talk about it, um, you know, if all of their fans, they just eat up every word they say. And, you know, I think also, you know, I think the, the challenging when I talked about when, you know, trends and, and brands having trust and all of that, I think that's an interesting concept now too, is, which celebrity or influencer can they trust? Right. And that's right. a big, a big thing going on where a lot of, you know, influencers, some people don't trust them because all of a sudden if they're hawking things that they know they're just getting paid for and, you know, it's just an ad and, you know, like some people are really skeptical of that. I think mm -hmm. in the case of my celebrity clients, 
they don't, that's not how they get their income. They're not just an influencer sponsoring things and getting money that way. They're getting it from record deals, concerts, from acting, et cetera. And so when they do talk about something, I think people realize that something's not an ad and it's just authentic and, yes. and people pick that up. And so, so all of my clients, they speak about me organically and, and so people are aware of that. And, uh, and I think that that's been super powerful. Especially for, for people who are in front of the cameras all the time. I mean, skin is so personal and important to everyone, but especially somebody in that level of limelight to finally find somebody who can be a problem solver for them. I think that's probably a part of why it comes across so authentic and powerful. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, going back to also trust, you know, a lot of, I think it's important for people to know that when you're working with a high profile client, they don't trust a lot of people because people yeah. want them for something, right? They want, right. can you get me concert tickets? Can you sign this autograph? Can you take right. a video for my friend? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and they'll use their name, you know, for their own gain. Right. And yeah. if a high profile and a high profile client knows that everybody wants something from them, they, so they're used and mm -hmm. it's really important that they trust you and know that you're not just using them for their name. Right. Like you're, you're really more of a, a trusted friend and, mm -hmm. and that's super important because the minute that you use their name and they haven't, said you could, or, you know, it's, you know, that's, yeah. it's really not good. And so my general rule is I let them to do the talking and then I will echo what they say, you know, like if they, you know, post something on Instagram, of course I'll share it. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm not the one to say something first. Right. Right. That makes complete sense. And I think authenticity is, is one of the big struggles right now in, you know, in the industry, because like you said, I mean, we have influencers, we have, you know, everybody's talking about skincare, whether they, you know, know what they're saying or not. So, um, yeah, I think being a trusted source is super important. And I'm, I'm curious, Renee, how did, how did you end up with your first celebrity client? Was it like a friend of a friend or did you kind of know somebody like, how did that happen for you? <laughs> um, one of my, ba my, um, one of my favorite quotes is you don't ask, you don't get. And <laughs> the idea there is you just need to ask. So in this particular case, um, one of my first big celebrity clients was, um, Demi Lovato. Um, she's much bigger now, but back then, um, I mean, she was like sunny with the chance and, you know, Disney oh, and all yeah. of that, but mainly what I did is I just asked and I reached out to, um, I managed to, you know, find somewhere online, her manager or something like that. And then just sent an email and asked and Hey, would she like a facial? Cause she was living in Dallas and I was at the time as well. And, uh, and she said, yeah. And so it was like, <laughs> that's how it happened. Like I didn't know anybody it wasn't any, Oh, it's who, you know, it wasn't any of that. It was just, I managed to find, uh, some sort of contact person and just asked. That's amazing. I, there's no better way. Right. You know, if you that's, don't, I love that yeah. saying, if you don't ask, you don't get, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's what our podcast is, you know, all about. <laughs> and we just asked you, Renee. And yeah, right. We're so yeah. thankful that exactly, you're Exactly, so right? It's, just it's ask. so true. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is incredible. Um, do you have any final advice, Renee, for an esthetician who's sort of newer? A lot of our listeners are newer and just getting out of school. Do you have any final advice for helping them sort of find their way in this industry? Yeah, um, I probably, I probably would say, don't be in a rush to start your own business mm-hmm. or start your own skincare line. Um, and, and mainly it's because it's like society kind of is really pushing everyone to be an entrepreneur and a girl boss. And, yep. you know, and yep. I feel like that's really what everyone pushes people to. But first of all, not everybody is wired to do that. Right. Like there, you know, there's not everybody is meant to do that. Um, some people are less go getters and that's, you know, they're, they'll do great working for someone else. Um, but I think the idea is that when you work for somebody else, you're getting paid to learn and, and it's super, super helpful to learn from someone before you go out onto your own. And so I would, I just wouldn't rush that process and, and just take your time and, and get as much experience under your belt. Cause ultimately, ultimately the goal is, um, is for you to learn, you know, good things or bad things. And, um, but just learn as much as possible because there's no handbook out there that tells you, how to do a bit, how to run a business, how, how to start a skincare line. And, and, and you just want to get as much experience and see how somebody else does it. Um, and then that will give you insight. So just, you know, don't focus so much on being an entrepreneur, focus on how can I learn the most? Yes. I think that is so perfectly said, especially in a, a social media heavy world, we often see if we're involved in esthetician hashtags and whatever, we see people posting their treatment rooms and it's so, it looks so glamorous and exciting. And I think it's really easy when you're just getting out of school to think, oh, I could just jump straight to that. But it's so important, I think, like you're saying, Renee, to to learn first and make those mistakes and make them working for somebody else if you can yeah. before you put yourself in that position. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, fresh out of school, you don't know what you don't know yet. So right. <laughs> yeah. right. getting paid yeah. to learn. And that's, that's some advice that I think we've heard quite a few times yeah. from, from other, you know, estheticians that we've had on the podcast that say, you know, you have to, you know, learn first, take the time, work for somebody else. And like you said, get paid to learn and, and then work your way up from there. Cause yeah, it is so like, oh my gosh, you see these beautiful treatment rooms and it's like, sure, I'll just get a business loan and then we'll get started and it'll be great. And you know, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, but it can never hurt to learn first. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, perfect. Thank you, Renee, so much for coming on. This has been such an amazing conversation. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Tessa. I appreciate the opportunity and I hope uh, it brings some good things to think about for your, uh, your, your listeners. Oh, absolutely. It was wonderful. So thank you everybody who is listening. We appreciate it. We will leave um, links to Renee and Renee, do you want to tell us where um, everybody can find you on? I mean, if they're not already following you on social media or um, online. 
Yeah. So um, on Instagram, we have the company page and my personal page. So mine is Renee Rillo, um, and then Renee Rillo Skincare is the company page, and they're both really different. So I, mm-hmm. I very much try to have my personal page not be as much about skincare, but more just the behind the scenes of my life, my life as a CEO, as a product development. Uh, you know, product development person, mm-hmm. as a motorcycle rider, whatever, all the <laughs> adventures it. I do in my life. Um, and then the company page is much more about skincare and skincare education. So um, they're both they're both different that way. Um, I would definitely suggest that people go to ReneeRillo.com uh, and sign up for our company emails because then you'll get all of our latest and greatest blog posts. So if you're somebody that loves to learn about skin, um, you will definitely love our emails. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, yeah. And that's where they can take the test, right? For the skin type? The skin type quiz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we will see you guys in the next one. Thank you.